0: is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where the governor is the target of a new campaign to try to convince him to reverse course and allow Floridians to continue receiving federal unemployment benefits over the summer instead of cutting them off later this month. This is politics. This is the governor catering to the false narrative that has been created by
1: businesses who want to starve people out and try to force them to take incredibly low-wage, part-time work just so they can improve their bottom line and the people of Florida
0: and our economy be damned. The governor and his business backers say there have to be cuts because unemployment benefits are so high that lazy people won't go back to work. But are they really? When the governor and the senators of the state call the workers in Florida lazy, They're calling
1: Floridians lazy. They're calling their constituents lazy. Let's talk about that for one moment. It's BS. It is absolute BS.
0: The governor is calling BS on something completely different. DeSantis is fuming over a letter from the mayor of Miami Beach, who wants the feds to reject a new gambling compact with the Seminole tribe because it could bring casinos to the Trump Resort in Doral and the Fountain Blue in Miami Beach. That is totally
2: not, not the case. I think it's just an example of, you know, some of these partisan politicians always trying to elevate themselves with any type of cheap headline they
0: can get, trying to inject Trump into this. Despite the governor's claims, the compact would indeed make it easier to bring two new casinos to Miami-Dade. We will walk you through it later in the podcast. Now, the governor made those remarks in South Florida, where he held two press conferences in one day, one on Biscayne Bay, the other on snakes. Ron Bergeron at the State Wildlife Commission says it's time to sign up for the annual Everglades Python hunt.
3: The python is an invasive snake, 200 pounds, 20 feet long, that's destroying the natural food chain. And without a natural food chain, you cannot have a healthy environment.
0: The python challenge begins July 9th and lasts for 10 days. Miami City Commissioner Ken Russell says he'll be running for the U.S. Senate in hopes of ousting Marco Rubio.
4: We need to reform the filibuster so Marco Rubio and his boss Mitch McConnell can't block progress on the issues Floridians care about. We need to stop the senseless gun violence in our communities, pass the John Lewis Voting Rights Act to ensure every American can vote, end the corporate giveaways, and give tax relief
0: to the middle class. Health care, immigration reform, police reform. We'll also have your calendar of political events and the stories of a Florida woman whose daughter got hold of a marijuana gummy and a Florida man who's lucky to be alive after a gator attack. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Friday, June 4th. This is National Hug Your Cat Day, National Cheese Day, National Cognac Day, and National Donut Day. Mmm, donuts. On this date in 1070, a new type of cheese was created in a French cave near the town of Roquefort. Anyone care to guess what they named it? In 1912, Massachusetts passed the first minimum wage law in the U.S., but it had little effect. It did not actually set a minimum wage and only established a panel to study complaints about low wages. In 1919, U.S. Marines invaded Costa Rica. In 1940, the British completed the Miracle of Dunkirk, evacuating 338,000 Allied troops from France using a flotilla of more than 800 vessels, including Royal Navy destroyers, merchant marine boats, fishing boats, pleasure craft, even lifeboats. In 1942, the Battle of Midway began. Thanks to U.S. Navy codebreakers, the outnumbered Americans sank four Japanese carriers. The four-day battle was the turning point in the War of the Pacific. And on this date in 2005, Panamanian jockey Eddie Castro set a North American record with nine wins on the 13 race card at Calder Racecourse in Miami. The Florida Department of Health reported 1,878 new cases of COVID Thursday and 52 additional fatalities. Our death toll has reached 37,717. Total number of cases, 2,330,000. 10,400,000 Floridians have now been vaccinated. Two million of those are still waiting for their second shot. The governor lashes out at the mayor of Miami Beach for opposing the new gambling compact with the Seminole Tribe. Mayor Dan Gelber sent a nine-page letter to the U.S. Interior Secretary saying it's a corrupt deal to expand gambling that violates state and federal law. Now, Interior has to sign off on that compact, and Gelber urged them not to because, and I quote, It was simply a vehicle hijacked by non-tribal casino interests who fully corrupted the legislative and executive process in order to obtain advantages outside of tribal land and in direct contravention of the interests of Floridians. Mayor Gelber also claims the governor negotiated the compact to help Donald Trump turn his resort in Doral into a casino and to help the owner of the Fontainebleau Miami Beach get a casino license. DeSantis calls it pure idiotic politics.
2: What what basis is that? Is there any basis to say that? Is there anything in the compact that you can point to to say it was hijacked? In fact, they're not getting anything out of this. This has nothing to do with that. That is just pure idiotic politics. But
0: why do you say that? Because the compact does say that the tribe would not object to a casino. And then,
2: what did the legislature do in terms of the bills that they passed? Did they prevent? Did they allow or authorize? Any type of, of movement of any type of thing? No. In fact, they pretty much restricted it. So there's not going to be any type of transfer within Miami Dade County. There was no, the legislature flatly rejected that. And so the compact, when you're doing a compact, what you have to do is, and this is what they didn't do in the one from, from 10, 12 years ago, there are all these landmines. So then they end up having this issue with the paramutuals and the designated player games, and the tribe just stopped paying. And you know what the tribe did was smart. They're, they're very shrewd. They, they took a foot fault under the compact and relieved themselves of duty to pay at all. So you have to look to see what are the different landmines that could happen. So I don't know what would happen with any of that. That's a decision for the legislature. But if there was something, why would I want to agree to a compact that's going to trigger a violation potentially, especially for things I may not be able to control in the future? Who knows what will end up happening? So it is ridiculous. Uh, If you look at what the legislature did, that is totally not, not the case. I think it's just an example of, you know, some of these partisan politicians always trying to elevate themselves with any type of cheap headline they can get, trying to inject Trump into this. Can you guys, I mean, like, they just can't help themselves with some of this stuff. It's idiotic. The idea that this should be rejected by Biden's administration is nonsense. And in fact, The tribe has been working with Interior throughout this whole time. There was never anything about this deal that were any red flags on. So I would just tell people, you know, consider the source on some of this stuff. Uh, Don't be uh, misled uh, by any of these self-interested politicians
0: just looking to improve their profile. Sounds like a bit of projection at the end, and with good reason. The fear that it would allow two new casinos in Miami-Dade is very real. There is language in the compact that guarantees exclusivity to the tribe within 15 miles of their casino in Hollywood, and Trump Doral is just outside that line. When lawmakers objected and tried to expand the non-compete zone to include Doral and the Blue, they were told the compact could not be amended, even though it had already been amended a few days before. It is true the compact does not specifically speak to the transfer of casino licenses, but the legislature can do that on its own, and the new compact means the Seminoles would not be able to object or withhold money from the state because of the new competition. The Interior Department has until July 9th to accept or reject the compact. If they do nothing, it will be approved by default. Labor groups in Florida launch a last-ditch campaign to try to convince the governor to reverse his decision to cut off federal unemployment benefits later this month. State benefits are capped at $275 per week, but the feds have been providing another $300 a week in jobless benefits, and the governor claims that is too much. The people who should be working are living it up on the public dole. Dr. Rich Templin at the Florida AFL-CIO says that is a bogus narrative based on a lie.
1: First, we have to ask why the governor has made this decision. Now the stated reason, one that started with a coordinated campaign by business groups, largely representing the hospitality and service industries, who happen to pay the lowest wages in the state, that there is a so-called hiring crisis driven by overly generous unemployment benefits. The narrative has been set that unemployed workers are receiving $575 per week to stay home and that these employers can't compete with that generous amount. Now this is completely false and using third grade math, we can illustrate why that is the case. First, remember, and this is something that the Florida AFL-CIO and others have been talking about for a year. Our recipiency rate, that's the number that reflects the number of workers deemed eligible to access the unemployment insurance system, has hovered between 10 and 15% for the past year and beyond. One of the lowest in the nation. That means that over 80% of our unemployed have never gotten a dime. They weren't getting state benefits last year. They're not getting state benefits now. So almost no one is getting $575 per week. Of those who have gained access, the $275 that keeps getting cited in this narrative, that is the maximum weekly benefit amount in state benefits. Many workers don't qualify for that amount and have received far less. So of those who have received anything and those benefits have expired, they are getting nothing. So what we are talking about is just $300 per week in federal benefits. That's an hourly wage using a 40-hour work week of $7.50 per hour, far less than the minimum wage. So we are being told that workers are not seeking employment because they wanna sit at home eating bonbons for less than the minimum wage. This is a completely false, mean-spirited narrative, not based in reality, and certainly not based on any sound policy consideration. These are not state funds. Nothing is charged to employers. Why on earth would any governor do this? Take $804 million in economic stimulus out of a struggling economy. This is politics. This is the governor catering to the false narrative that has been created by businesses who want to starve people out and try to force them to take incredibly low-wage part-time work just so they can improve their bottom line and the people of Florida and our economy be damned.
0: Karen Woodall at the Florida Center for Fiscal and Economic Policy says Floridians are still suffering from the economic downturn. They've exhausted their state unemployment benefits and that federal money is their only lifeline.
5: Almost half of low-wage workers have suffered job losses or pay cuts due to lost hours. These are our essential workers, folks. Families have been forced to borrow, get payday loans, max out credit cards, all of those things have an extra cost to an already struggling family budget. The majority of unemployed workers in Florida do not qualify for even the meager benefits, so many of them have relied solely on federal benefits. These are self-employed workers, gig workers, low-wage seasonal workers who can't count their most recent quarter of work, so they can't show that they've made enough money to qualify, even when they have. And that's because Florida is one of eight states that hasn't adopted an alternative base period. The Center on Budget and Policy Priorities nationally developed something called the COVID Hardship Watch. In Florida, their report shows that adults reporting not having enough to eat in the household stood at 1.4 million people. That's 10%. Adults with children reporting not having enough to eat was 546,000 or 11% of households with children. In Florida, over 1 million people are not caught up on their rent. And you've read about everyone facing evictions as those moratoriums are being lifted. And yet, the governor wants to pull out of the federal program providing $300 a week in benefit for those who are still, still unemployed And he's moving that up to June 26 instead of September 6. Does losing 11 weeks of $300, which would be $3,300, really make that big of a difference for those who have not yet found a job? Ask the 1.4 million people who didn't have enough to eat or the 1 million who are behind in rent. Every penny helps. People have depleted their savings. If they even had any, they've maxed out their credit cards. They are struggling to make it. It's not rocket science. We shouldn't be pulling out of this program.
0: And State Representative Anna Escamani of Orlando says the whole idea being pushed by DeSantis, the jobs can't be filled because people are lazy, is an insult to Florida workers.
6: The math doesn't add up when it comes to a reliance on the unemployed workforce to even fill in these jobs. It is a political talking point, really designed for the corporate interests to never increase unemployment benefits and to feed into their narrative that unemployed Floridians are lazy. When in reality, we have folks who are actively looking for jobs, but they're looking for jobs that are in their field. And I have one Republican constituent. She's in the pharmaceutical business. She was making a six-figure salary before this pandemic, and she's actively looking for work in her field. Asking her to take a service job does not make sense. I also think that this post 2020 economy is not the same economy of last year. Yes, the service industry took a hit, but Amazon did not, grocery stores did not. So you did see a wave of career changes and folks who went to these different fields making more money. It is a buyer's market. You know, workers are the ones who are in demand, so they get to decide where they want to go. If you're not offering something as basic as benefits or a decent wage to pay for health care, then folks are going to continue looking for work that is suitable to them. And the federal law allows that. I mean, President Biden has made it clear that you, you, you are accepting suitable work and there is a definition of what is not suitable work. And it can include something that is not in your field or concerns about pay. So, again, we're operating within the legal requirements of unemployment and to continue to demonize workers who are trying to get back out there but looking for the right fit. It is wrong, it is cruel, it is political, and we're here to call it out.
0: Dr. Templin at the AFL-CIO says if the service industry really is having trouble hiring, they should consider a new approach, like paying a living wage with actual benefits, instead of trying to run their businesses with part-timers, making minimum wage and no benefits. The governor travels to South Florida to plug the Wildlife Commission's annual python hunt. Wildlife Commissioner Ron Bergeron says they don't belong in the Everglades and the state is doing everything it can to get rid of them.
3: The python is an invasive snake, 200 pounds, 20 feet long, that's destroying the natural food chain. And without a natural food chain you cannot have a healthy environment. We have put the pressure on the python and we will continue. I want to thank the hikers, the bikers, the wildlife photographers, the hunters, the fishermen, the conservationists, the environmentalists, all of the stakeholders that enjoy this resource. Thank them for being a part of this in the Python Challenge. The Python Challenge is to remove as many snakes as we can, but also to educate the public on how to safely remove the snake and how to notify the FWC or South Florida Water Management, if you see a python and you don't have the ability to remove it. So all year long after the python challenge, everyone that enjoys this natural resource can be looking for these pythons year round. So I think at the end of the day, if we can save the environment, we can save the quality of life for future generations in Florida. And long live the Everglades.
0: And Governor DeSantis is extending a personal invitation to anyone who's ever wanted to hunt down a giant constrictor. You can even win prizes.
2: I am proud to be here today in the Everglades as we kick off registration for the 2021 Python Challenge. This will be a 10-day challenge from July 9th until July 18th. Participants who remove the most pythons and who capture the longest pythons will receive prizes at the end of the competition. Now, as part of my focus on restoring the Everglades, I've charged FWC with dedicating more resources and taking innovative approaches to removing invasive Burmese pythons, which can grow to 20 feet in length, weigh up to 200 pounds, and cause major damage to the ecosystem. I mean, these, these things will eat everything, and you know, we spend all this money and we wanna do all this stuff to restore, but yet if they're just uh, running roughshod over all the other species, um, you know th- that's not what we want. So we've done almost 5,500 pythons uh, removed from the Everglades uh, since I became governor. Total FWC has removed about 13,000 pythons since the year 2000. Uh, we love the Python challenge. I know there's a lot of people, there's people from all over the world that wanna come do the Python challenge. Uh, So we want to continue to do that. But we also want uh, to identify new ways to be able to remove pythons. And so, for example, uh, FWC is training a Python detector dog team. They're also working with the University of Central Florida to create infrared vehicle cameras to help us detect pythons. You look, it's very hard to find these. I mean, people will look all day. Um, It's not easy. So if we can harness technology to help us identify them more quickly and easily, uh, you're gonna see even more pythons be able to be removed. So I look forward to a successful challenge.
0: If you're interested in joining the annual Snake Roundup, just go to flpythonchallenge.org. There's a $2,500 prize for the team that collects the most pythons and a $1,500 prize for the largest python. There are also separate divisions for professional and novice snake hunters. Miami City Commissioner Ken Russell is running for the U.S. Senate next year, hoping to replace Republican Marco Rubio. He began the campaign by posting this video on YouTube. I'm Ken Russell, and I'm running for U.S. Senate.
4: The career politicians have it all backwards. Too many of those we'd hope would lead and just talk. They don't actually do anything or build anything. I believe we should approach politics the way a woodworker looks at a project. You start with what you want to build, you make a plan, gather the right tools, and put in the hard work. I look at the world differently in part because my personal story is different. After serving in World War II, my dad traveled the world, started his own business, and met my mom, a Japanese woman. They started a business selling yo-yos. They traveled the world teaching kids, entertaining and learning how the world sees America. My dad was working in Cuba when Castro's regime overthrew the government. It wasn't long before the government seized all of his assets, forcing him to flee the country. My mother and father settled in Miami where they raised my brother and me. In time, I started a successful business of my own, selling water sports equipment around the world. Florida is also where I met my wife who's a veterinarian, We were happily raising our kids, and I was growing my business. But then, something grabbed me off the sidelines. It was a park across the street from where we lived. It was contaminated, and the city wasn't doing anything about it. I wanted to fix it, but I wasn't sure how. So I mobilized my neighbors, and we got it done. Like woodworking, it was about getting the right result, not about who got the credit. With encouragement from my neighbors, I decided to run for local office without any big money, name recognition, or insider endorsements. The pundits never thought I had a chance. But in the end, we won. Over the last six years, I've used my position to help tackle other murky problems. Sea level rise, toxic algae, a minimum wage that was too low to live on, and sometimes just picking up my chainsaw and cleaning up after a hurricane. When I think about our senator in Washington, Marco Rubio, I shake my head. I like to work with my hands, not worry about how big they are. I'm more worried about Florida's water quality and how it affects our economy than I am about my own bottle of water. All jokes aside, Florida's facing some serious challenges, but we've got what it takes to solve those problems, and we can just put the politics aside and work together for a change. We need to reform the filibuster so Marco Rubio and his boss Mitch McConnell can't block progress on the issues Floridians care about. We need to stop the senseless gun violence in our communities, pass the John Lewis Voting Rights Act to ensure every American can vote, end the corporate giveaways, and give tax relief to the middle class. Healthcare, immigration reform, police reform, just like turning dead wood into furniture or contaminated parks into playgrounds. I believe that at its best, public service is about rolling up our sleeves and solving problems together. If you'd like to clean up the Senate contaminated by self-serving politicians like Marco Rubio, please sign up and join our grassroots campaign. What do you think?
6: Eh, it's okay
0: wants a shot at Rubio, Russell has to win the Democratic primary, and Orlando Congresswoman Val Demings is also gearing up for that race. Your calendar of events, the Department of Environmental Protection holds an online meeting at 10 about projects to protect Florida Springs in the upcoming year. At 11.30, the Tiger Bay Club of Central Florida hosts a discussion in Orlando about the 2021 legislative session. Senators Jason Brodeur and And Randolph Bracey, along with Representatives Keith Trunow and Geraldine Thompson, will be attending. And Saturday at 9, trustees of the new College of Florida meet in Sarasota. A Florida woman had to rush her daughter to the hospital after she accidentally ate a marijuana gummy that looked a lot like candy. Morgan McCoy of Pensacola was visiting her brother in Jacksonville while her six-year-old daughter stayed behind with the other kids and the parents. Now, one of those parents had a bag of marijuana edibles from California in her pocket. It looked exactly like Hawaiian punch gummies. The girl was completely zonked out, and when they realized what happened, McCoy rushed her to the hospital. She's a medical marijuana patient herself, and she says the gummy her daughter ate was twice as strong as anything she's ever used. Finally today, a Florida man who was attacked by an alligator ended up with a skull fracture and dozens of staples in his head, but Jeffrey Heim says he is lucky to be alive. He was diving for shark teeth on the Mayaca River. The attack was so fierce he thought he'd been hit by a propeller. When he looked up, the gator was about four feet away. He backed away slowly. The gator did not attack again. Heim says he should have known to avoid the river during the alligator mating season, and from now on he'll stick to diving in the Gulf of Mexico. That's it for this episode of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again Monday as we plumb the depths of Florida politics.